Welcome to this MTech Access podcast. At MTech Access, we offer a complete global market access service from strategy through to implementation. In the UK, all our work is underpinned by authentic NHS insights. Our in-house experts work closely with a national network of associates who occupy strategic, operational and clinical roles within the NHS. Leaders in their field, their knowledge and experience helps MTech Access to be as close to the front line of care delivery as possible. Please subscribe to the podcast or follow our LinkedIn company page for more information. Good afternoon. Welcome to the MTech Access Words of Wisdom webinar. I'm Tom Clark. It's great to be back. Uh, it was a slightly different format than usual. So I've got a, a wonderful panel of four guests uh, covering most of the bases of, around health and care, hopefully, um, for a bit of a Q&A session to explore all sorts of different things. Normally we look at one topic today, we're trying to cover as much as we can do. Um, within the audience or at home, you've all submitted questions in advance, so thank you for that. We're gonna try and get through whatever we can do today. Some of it have picked out themes to, to distill into, into a single question. There's a few specific questions that, that are in there as well. On with the show, and in no particular order, um, the panel today, um, a group of people whose job titles themselves, when they introduce, when I introduce them, do them a huge disservice because they're far more than that. But it's what we've got to go off for today. So, joined by Ewan Moore, who is head of medicines management at Sunderland CCG and interim chief pharmacist for the Northeastern Cumbria ICS. Liz Cross, who's a nurse practitioner from Attenborough Surgery in Watford. Patrick McGinley. Head of Costing and Service Line Reporting at Maidstone and Tunbridge Wells Trust. And David Thorne, a fellow director of mine at MTech Access, and more importantly, development director of the Well Up North PCN, Primary Care Network. So thank you everyone for joining me today. Good to see you. Um, just to kick us off, um, just wanted to go around and ask, ask you all what you see the most important thing that's happened in the NHS this year as being. Um, from your own perspective, in, in your corner of, of the health and social care system, what, what stood out this year? So, you and I'll come to you first, if that's all right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fine. So, I think the the most important thing that's happened this year, aside from you know the obvious, um, is that the the decision to restructure the the NHS has continued at a time when I think probably there were points where some of us might have thought this is going to be delayed for a little while. It doesn't seem as though it's going to be. Um, as we get closer to it, it seems as though that's going to go ahead. And that's um, probably been unsettling for large parts of the NHS, knowing that this is on the horizon at the time that um, we've got unprecedented pressures, even more so than we had during what, what most of us probably thought of as the, the peak of the pandemic. So that, that's the big one for me, is that, that decision to carry on down this road at this time. Great stuff. Thanks, Ewan. Liz, I'll come to you next. Um, so past year I've developed my website manner. So I'm a nurse and GP practice. So um, still a lot of my work now is um, telephone triage. And then now it's more and more face to face. But still, we do rely quite heavily on telephone triage. Um, doesn't work for every situation, but it, it, it used appropriately. It, it can be really, really useful. Um, we are um, part of a piece, well, we, we're a single practice PCN, thank goodness, um, which makes life so much easier for me. Um, so obviously our PCN, you know, they've 
that we've made changes and we've only got one team to to discuss those with. Um, so uh, our PCN is, is quite um, well established now. Um, we are, you know, we're looking to change services. We've got, um, you know, a couple of years ago, all you saw were doctors, nurses, the management team, um, and that's all you saw in primary care. And now, you know, I've got physios, I've got pharmacists, I've got ambulance crew arriving next week. You know, I've got a whole mental health team. Um, I've got an amazing set of dietitians. You know, um, I've got um, social prescribers as well. I've got all these different people that I can now refer to. So when I'm doing my, you know, standard chronic diseases, now it's it's not just the doctor and nurse that you're going to see. We're we're going to introduce you to the whole team, um, which is brilliant, um, because it, not everything can be solved with a pill. Um, so yes, it's all quite exciting working out how it's all going to fit together. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks. I think we're going to come back to some of the sort of the impact of that a bit later on. Um, Patrick, what's what's happening in your world? Um, I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's probably closer to uh, Ewan's experience of the continued reorganisation, um, but particularly um, the continued separation between funding flows and activity or outcome measures. Um, uh, we're continuing towards uh, whatever's in the draft bill this week. And, you know, uh, the fact that it gets delayed and delayed as a process means that we'll have less and less time to appreciate it before we implement it. But the continued uh, thought that there is very little link at the moment, uh, particularly in uh, secondary care, between the volume of work that we're doing and the payment that we're receiving for it. Uh, and while there's a, an assumption that, you know, uh, next year will be tough, um, we don't know in exactly what form. Um, and on one hand, we're busily planning to do things we've never done before. We're, we're looking to develop a um, four theatre module at Maidstone to help East Kent with their orthopaedic work. You know, um, after 15 years of pointing at East Kent and going, ah, you don't want your hips done there. Now we're going to do them with them. Um, uh, but we don't know how it's funded, uh, which is just marvellous. And for an accountant, well, you know, uh, it's hard to believe I'm 27. Um, the, the worry, the taking care of the, the appearance. Good stuff. Thanks, Patrick. David, what have you seen in the NHS this year? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, it's, it's great going last, isn't it? Because uh, um, probably the most important thing I heard this year, um, Jill Morgan, who is the chair of the Gloucestershire ICS. So there you go. Just you know, to uh, Ewan's point. Um, Gloucestershire ICS is up and running. It's got a really good chair. I heard her say something. Um, this is the first ever NHS change predicated on difference. You know, and that's interesting. So I'm, I'm 300 miles away from Liz. RPCN has got the same excitement about those similar kind of roles, but the people might be doing slightly different things. Because in rural Northumberland, the social prescribing team will be doing different things from suburban Watford, and quite rightly. You know, so I think that that is something. Um, just again, picking up Liz's point, where would we have been in primary care with COVID if it wasn't for PCNs? It was, gosh, if, if we would have, it's been hard enough, but where would we have been without that group structure? But the thing that I, I would choose that is different, the main thing I wanted to say was, 
I, you know, Patrick's joking about his age. I'm probably one of the oldest people, if not the oldest person in, in this whole session. All that time we've heard stuff about care closer to home and outside hospital. I've seen more practical progress on that in the last year than I've seen in the previous 40. I think that's slightly forgotten. Every cloud has a silver lining and um, where the whole service needs to be patted on the back for some of the things it's achieved. Hmm. Fantastic, thank you. So um, that was that was looking back. So now we'll switch our, our focus to next year. Um, obviously more change is expected. Um, just want to go around and kind of get what, what the, what's the most important thing, either thing you're most looking forward to, the thing you're dreading most uh, about next year. Um, feel free to pick one of each if, if they stand out. Um, I'll, I'll go in reverse order this time. Um, David. Well, if I hear the Prime Minister's wife's pregnant again, I think that'll, that'll really start to get me worried because we're clearly in trouble. <laughs> I guess that, that's one thing. Um, let's, let's take something slightly less predictable. Now, in all seriousness, the, what I think will dominate everything is workforce. And that, that's what I'm concerned about. And, I, you know, I can see my colleagues there nodding. So going back to the point about Liz and I getting excited there. Um, but the trouble with those roles generally across the country is the churn and the difficulty of recruiting them. So absolutely brilliant. I, you know, I rang a practice manager this morning. As you know, Tom, I've been doing NHS work today. Um, she didn't sound a normal self. How are you doing? Oh, we just had a receptionist resign. Now, in the northeast of England, 15 years ago, 10, five years ago, the biggest problem was you go out to advert and you'd have too many applicants for a job like that. Right? And it doesn't matter whether you're in Kent or whether you're in Sunderland or wherever you are. This is the issue. Um, I, again, I've, I've recently started working back in the NHS. Everybody's the same age as me. The practice nurses are there in their fifties. And, and what have we? Where are the skills? So going back to my point, yeah, we're going to do care, and then uh, we're going to do this. Yeah, but where do we get the sonographer? Yes, we need a dietitian. You go, where do you get dietitians? Occupational therapists, physiotherapists, nurses. Nurses like Lisa, absolutely like gold dust. Yeah, so I, th I think that's the thing. I can't see anything at the moment positive that is solving that workforce issue in fact it's getting worse yeah okay thank you so patrick what's what's top of your list for next year uh, I, I think it would be absolutely the same uh, you know uh, i'm an accountant uh, the money is driven by people um you know it's a, a rare organization where the people costs are less than 70 percent of what we spend um and my worry is that David and Liz get their staff from me because my staff want out. Um, it's just been too much for too long. Um, it, it, you know, it's David's point about recruiting in, but also people are just going, there must be something different. It must be better to work in Watford than in Maidstone. It's just too hard. I think we might have lost you slightly there, Patrick. So I'll, I'll, I'll just yeah. move on to Liz. Uh, dreading. Um, <laughs> uh, dreading another whip round for a retirement party. Um, I've lost two nurses already, my two senior nurses. Um, <laughs> senior partner as well. Lost, I mean retired. Um, they didn't just go. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I don't know. I was reading in the paper the other day that, was it like 
69% of the UK workforce is looking to change jobs at the moment. It's obviously a lot less in healthcare because, you know, we've got a secure and stable income um, and it's great, but it's still pretty high. Um, uh, so, yes, maybe those, some of those accountants will be retraining into blue dresses. That'd be nice. Um, it is Friday. That's fine. <laughs> uh, exciting. Um, well, I, I think over the last, you know, two years, you know, the communications and tech um, that's that's reaching out to print like you know normally the most I run my clinics with scented candles in my room and you know a stethoscope you know like the only shiny thing in my room is a torch um but now I was, I was just checking on my phone like I've got a couple of apps now you know I can um you know if I want to log in from anywhere I can uh if I can if I want to get uh, expert opinion of pediatrics, dermatology, it doesn't have to be through what for general anymore. You know, I can email something off, I can get a, uh, an opinion back in 30 seconds. Like, what is that about? Um, uh, we had the Accurix guys come over again last week, you know, talking about communications. Um, and you know, we were saying, oh, well, if you just change one or two things, so I, it, it would save like five seconds. And they were like, no, 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 five seconds is an achievement. That's what our goal is. We're saving five seconds per action. And for, in, you know, for the tech companies, saving five seconds is a big win and they're going for it. And that's probably why they're quite successful. Um, uh, we've got a new research program coming out. Um, uh, to do with, um, I don't quite understand it yet, but it's to do with uh, inhaler compliance with our brittle COPD. Great. Um, they're the, the um, they are definitely our priority group, um, which we'll be uh, looking to support next year. So if there's there's anything out there that can help us work out what inhalers are using, when they're using it, or is it appropriate? Um, uh, to get a better understanding of that um, is, is really useful and very exciting for next year. Yeah, good stuff, thank you. And Ewan, what's on your list for next year? Uh, so what am I what am I looking forward to? I'm looking forward to ICSs forming and doing all sorts of wonderful things. What am I dreading is ICSs forming badly and not doing lots of wonderful things and setting the tone for the next five to ten years of ICS has just been another version of rubbish. Um, I think, I mean, I, I do have to pick up on the point about workforce because I think that's absolutely right. Within pharmacy, within my world, we've seen kind of, and we are, we are seeing more of kind of mass migration away from community pharmacy and secondary care into PCN roles for all sorts of reasons, better for work-life balance and all, all that sort of stuff. Um, that's causing us problems. But then equally, we have some PCNs where people are going into those jobs they're not actually enjoying those jobs. There isn't the leadership and support in those jobs. So they're shifting from one PCN mm -hmm. to another and, and we're, we're losing an awful lot of time in that churn in that process and, and not building up the skills and the expertise the way that, that we should be doing. Um, so I do think that's a big problem and that, that's a problem that's, that's been, you know, 10 years in the making, if not more. And, and actually, we're not going to be able to solve it now. We're, you know, if we put something in place to solve it now, we might have an answer in 10 years time. Um, but at the meantime, what we get is 
uh, what the NHS is terrible doing, put money now into the things that need money now, not put money now into the things that are going to need money in 10 years time. So, you know, I could I could recruit as many pharmacists as I wanted and get loads of funding for it, but there's nobody there to do it. Um, and I worry that if we don't do it and if we don't deliver on it, then in 10 years time, no one's going to be asking me for pharmacists anymore. And we just trained a load of them. So um, that said, opportunities, I think, um, I think the ICSs and the, everything that goes underneath it and PCNs are a really good example from what Liz talked about earlier on about the, the multidisciplinary is starting to mean genuinely multidisciplinary. Multidisciplinary for a long time meant, you know, five doctors and a nurse. It doesn't mean that anymore. It means something quite different now. It means all those sorts of different professions and, and perspectives. And I think that's really positive. I think there are also, there's also a real move I'm certainly starting to see in our ICS, and I think it's happening around the country, is a move to change the way that we think about prescribing and medicines so that we kind of get over this short-term cost-cutting we've had over the last 10 years, and we're now starting to think, actually, prescribing is an investment. Spending money on a drug is an investment, and we need to get the best effect of it, not just spend money on that investment. Um, so, Liz, your, your brittle asthma patients or your, your COPD patients, that's a prime example of when you can spend an awful lot of money on inhalers and get really poor outcomes when you could probably, uh, you know, by by proactively managing these patients and taking a population health approach, you could probably better manage them, spend less on their inhalers and have better outcomes. And that's what we as a system need to need to become better at doing. The other thing that's very related to that that I think is going to become more and more important is the sustainability agenda. Um, and I think that is starting to be over the last six to nine months that started to open so many doors towards doing things differently. And I think it, it it's all about this this move away from um, efficiency is the key. Efficiency is everything. Efficiency is go, well, actually, efficiency is very important, but actually there are lots of other things that matter just as much as efficiency. Doing things really well and doing things the right way is just as important. So I think this restructure will help to bring some of those things into a bit more focus. Fantastic. Thank you all for that, that quick sort of round the table. Now we're going to get stuck into some of the questions that we've had in and, and just picking up on some of your comments there, Ewan, about the evolution of, of ICSs. One of the questions that we had was given given the new ICS structures, um, how might that impact on the, the formula approach to procurement? You, you talk there about looking at things in different ways. Are formularies still going to be the way things are done? Is it, is it going to be different? I, it's a difficult one because formularies make sense and they're very logical, but have they ever actually had an impact on anything? It's really difficult to say. It's really difficult to know what impact they have actually had because the, the key to a decent formulary comes down to good clinical guidance to support it and it comes down to engagement and buy-in and what are the levers for making sure it applies and so on. And, and, and that's probably variable at best. So I, I don't think formularies on their, are on their way out anytime soon. I think what there will be are, are more um, integrated and amalgamated ways to think yep. about them. So at the moment, we have lots and lots of different CCGs, some of whom have their own formularies, some of whom don't on a bigger scale. Things will happen on a bigger scale. I think that's just logical and sensible. It's mm -hmm. the same it's the same evidence everybody's assessing. What might be different underneath that are the processes and, and pathways and things that underpin some of that stuff. You know, one trust has got this type of service in secondary care, another trust doesn't, so it needs to be done in primary care. That doesn't really matter too much. That's the stuff that can be done at, at place level, and that's that's the kind of the PCN type conversation. What an ICS should be doing, or what 
broader regions should be doing is making a decision once about actually this is the evidence this is the treatment that we're going to make sure everybody in our patch has access to how they get access to it is less important but what we can't have is somebody in Sunderland having access to this drug and somebody in South Tyneside mm -hmm. not having access to that drug um, where they get it is kind of different mm -hmm. so I, I think um, I think we'll see a separation between kind of decision making and delivery to a certain extent. So there will be decision making where there is a significant financial impact or operational impact or something um, at, a, at a higher level, at a more amalgamated level. And then there will be local pathways and processes that will underpin it um, that could be enormously variable from one area to the other. And that, that doesn't really matter so much. Yeah. OK, fantastic. Really, really insightful answer there. Liz, I'm, I'm going to kind of follow on thematically slightly with you, with, with the next question come to you. Think about quaff and other incentives, sort of particularly primary care level and, and possibly beyond that. Picking up on what you were saying there, how do you think they might evolve or be used to sort of drive that population health strategy, reducing health inequalities? Well, as we just heard the other day, so parts of quaff have been suspended. Um, uh, until April, um, but uh, chatting to the rest of the team, I think we're just going to crack on. Um, you know, we're still way behind. We've still we've got a lot of catching up to do, and if we drop the ball now, um, I think we're we're going to be in trouble. So, I, what we're going to do is, is carry out some bits. We might just um, just drop back on, but you know, there's still so many patients who have such great needs that we haven't identified yet. There's a lot of case finding to, to do as well. Um, you know, we need to make sure that we're doing our health checks for seriously mentally ill, our lend difficulties patients have had a shocker for the last two years. Mm -hmm. We need to make sure that they've got access to the care that they, they've needed because, you know, their health has not improved. Um, you know, particularly alcohol services as well. Um, uh, yeah, diabetes care. We're we're going to just carry on, really. And because also we've got this new team, this new multidisciplinary team, um, we've changed a huge amount of the processes, our, our recalls, the the structures, who's involved with each of the disease pathways. Um, and I think if we stop now. Um, we're not going to be able to embed that. Um, and also the team needs to find out what, what can they do? What what skills can they bring? How do we work together? Um, so we really need to keep going. Mm, brilliant. Thank you, Liz. So, David, I'm, I'm just going to come to you. Obviously, you're, you're leading a PCN at the other end of the country. Does what Liz say there resonate with you? Is there anything that you'd add on, on to yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we, we had a board meeting on Wednesday afternoon. It must be about 16 people on a board, something like that. It, obviously, in decisions like this, what I say has no bearing. It was the, the clinicians and the practice managers. And, you know, we've got a practice nurse like Liz who's on the board. They were unanimous to, to absolutely follow everything that Liz said. And e even to the extent you could see different camps agreeing. So some people were driven by clinical altruism, the kind of things that Liz talked about, but also others driven by... Um, we've got to keep the coding going. We've got to keep the accuracy. We've got to keep the records. We, it's a good discipline to keep to co-op. Um, these systems will come back in. But it was absolutely unanimous to do all we can to, to carry on. 
and um, I've spoken to other people around the country this week as part of the, the work that you and I do, Tom, and I haven't heard anybody disagree with that, particularly the coding issue. And um, I won't say where it is. I spoke to one practice manager recently, Liz. They, they had a locum practice nurse who, who's a returner to practice, and um, they had to ask her not to work there anymore, not because of her clinical skills, but because of her coding skills. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just in, intrinsic now to, to primary care. So it doesn't matter if you're financially driven and you're looking at reporting and things like that, or whether you're patient focused or a combination of the two most commonly. Um, yeah, I think most people are carrying on. They, they, kind of, they don't want to do any uh, alternative, but we owe it to the patients anyway. It's, um, you know, it's, uh, we, we've got to keep that breadth of service and, it, and it's disputing that some of the, the mass media, if you like, the messages going out to people that, that primary care isn't open for those kind of services when it is. Yeah, thank you. you. You used the words financially driven there, so I think I need to come to Patrick next. Patrick, we've just heard there about about uh, and the other incentives and and the primary care perspective. Thinking about that from your perspective in in the hospital and think more broadly into the ICS, how much is known at the moment about the budgetary and financial arrangements for next year at a sort of an acute system level? Um, I think in detail, very, very little is, is known, and that is a um, uh, continuing worry. Um, as I said earlier on, there's an assumption that next year will be financially much tighter than uh, this year has been. Um, and the expectation is that we will have some form of uh, a formal target to restore activity levels too. We've tried a sort of fairly soft approach this year with elective recovery funds, you know, uh, first 75%, then 80%, 85%, you know, and you know, most acute hospitals have missed quite significantly and or nearly all systems have missed as well. So um, we're facing the next few months with uh, an increase in winter non-elective. We, we, for instance, have cancelled all elective work this week in Maidstone and Dumbridge Wells, which was, you know, uh, same old December situation. Um, so that point that Liz was making of that recovery of getting back to somewhere, we're, we're sure that that target will come, but not sure how it will be set, you know, if it's set at a system level, you know, are we there to support East Kent, Medway, North Kent? Um, uh, because our performance is relatively close to where we were. Um, but put against that, where we were in 1920 was completely unable to reduce our waiting lists. That level wasn't good enough. Waiting lists were already increasing. So to get back there as your number one goal, look, we've reached base camp after two years. Fabulous. You know, uh, how far off is the peak? Oh, my God, it's eight million. Um, that, that's that lack of financial target that's linked to an outcome, be it productivity or, you know, heaven forfend from an accountant. You know, what about a health outcome? That we set as a target. What are we going to talk about at population health level for a system and where does secondary care fit with that? You know, that that can't be let's get back to where we were when where we were wasn't adequate. 
So the step forward has to be enormous. Uh, and I think like Ewan said, you know, part of you optimistically, you know, after decades of experience still comes up with maybe we'll get it right this time. You know, nobody, uh, not even, you know, Melchick can get it wrong 17 times in a row. Uh, so maybe this time we do get it right. Yeah. But thank you, Patrick. Getting it. Sorry, Patrick, we just got a slight delay, so forgive me jumping in there. I was, I was just hoping to build on, on another question that we've had in, which was around what essential data is going to be used at a system level to develop and deliver that, that vision. I think a lot of our audience are trying themselves to figure out, you know, how, 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 are, how are their things going to be counted, be it medicines, devices, interventions of some sort? What are you going to be looking at to develop what you're doing um I, I i don't know and you know it's it's trite to call it a a 64 million dollar question because it's so much bigger than that you know it, it will be what are we expecting to get as outcomes but maybe the system working gives us an opportunity to say what is good population health how does that work and less about counting am i spending 500 million pounds on medicines but actually what benefit do i get from spending 500 million pounds on uh, medicines and could that be extended if i spent 550 or 600 where's my crossover point where's my return on investment start to plateau you and did you did you want to come at all on the, the data question there what data are you going to be looking at well i mean i think i think Patrick very helpfully made a point very quickly right at the end of that. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So we, we should be focusing the services around the patients rather than around the efficiency of the service, which is what we tend to have done, I think, over the last 10 years in large part. So for for me, um, uh, you know, the, the, the data that I look, about, look at is about prescribing. And it's very easy for us to look at prescribing, oh, well, we are an outlier with them, we're an outlier with them, we're better than them, we're worse than them. But that just means... What, what do we spend and how much stuff do we give out for each, you know, by, by each patient or by each thousand patients or whatever? That's far less important than does it, does it translate into good outcomes? You know, so going back to the respiratory point again, you know, I'm not, if we've got really, really good respiratory outcomes, if we've got loads of people who've got COPD, but really small admissions, really slow, really small mortality, then, then we're managing that quite well. Yes, we need to do something about preventing more people getting COPD, but but we're actually managing that quite well. Um, if, if we're hardly spending any money and we're having really high admissions and really high mortality, then we've got that wrong again. The worst of all worlds is if we're spending a fortune and still having really poor outcomes that's that's but that's where we need to say well we'll just save the money we, we need to look at it differently um and i think that i feel as though that message is starting to percolate through so i was really reassured by what patrick was saying from an accountant's point of view is saying actually yeah medicines are inv an investment and the same goes for all sorts of healthcare resources yeah Fantastic, thanks, you. Liz, I'm, I'm going to come to you with a, a question that you might even build on what we've what we've just heard around patient experience. So, you and Patrick have both talked about building services around the patient. From your experience, seeing tens and hundreds of patients every week, how have you seen patient experience change over the last year or so, and what needs to happen to keep that moving forward? Um. Interesting. Just just this morning, I was um, 
I was out doing home visits. So actually, if you'd asked me yesterday what my thoughts of patients' experience had been very different from what I what I'll tell you now, you know, because my experience has been, you know, I've been sat in a clinic. It's quite sterile. I've been on the phone, and it's um, it's not real life. You know, it's um, whereas this morning I've been going from home to home to home, and I. I just find it just brought into such sharp focus what even small changes um, that are really needed by the patients. Some sm if you made some smart decisions about individual patients, the outcomes, the improvement in their life would be massive, you know, down to buying a belt to stop the falls. Yeah, I went into one poor chap and like what would improve his health outcomes? You know, he what would stop him having an admission? Oh, I know what it would be. It's a belt for his trousers. You know, not medicines, you know, not checking what his blood pressure was when he stood up or when he was lying down, you know, not his catheter care. It, it's genuinely he needs a belt and his toenails are so long. I think every single patient I went to, because they're all housebound and we don't provide domiciliary podiatry. Oh my goodness, what a ridiculous saving! Um, uh, false saving. Um, you know, they just needed some of these patients just needed really simple individualized interventions. And not this kind of broad stroke, oh, I'll give you a telephone call, how are you doing? No, actually going out and visiting them. Um, you know, where did where did the modern matrons go? Like what happened to the the our um our well-established um you know district nursing team? You know, now we rely like 80% on locums. Um, at the moment in, in Watford, on the district nursing team, there's no continuity whatsoever. Sorry, I'm ranting now, aren't I? Tommy, you have to keep me on track. I was just sure, I really we'll, we'll you blew me away this morning. So, so I, I suppose in, in terms of that bit, then what, what needs to happen to get us there in terms of that really individualised care on a, on a PCN and, and larger into system, system level? Can I, can I come in, Tom? I'll let you go back to Liz. If, if people looked at my LinkedIn post this morning, I, and you asked us about positive things, um, NHSX and NHS Digital effectively being abolished, they've been wrapped up into this new transformation directory. And that, to me, if that, going back to you, some of Ewan's points, you know, kind of heard all this sort of thing before, but let's hope it works, you know, and good luck to those who make it work. Because Going back to the respiratory example and Liz's example, for too long we've been trying to count things as respiratory or diabetes. It's not. It's the man with the belt. It's. It's. I'd, I remember sitting you and on the, the early days of the um, of whatever the uh, the vanguard was in Sunderland, and people saying we've reduced diabetes emissions by twenty percent or something. You think? Well, the reason people get admitted is because their daughter went away for the weekend. Or, um, you know, they, they didn't have the dog or, or the neighbours around or, um, you know, where would you and I live, the football team loses and then you, you people have a bad weekend, seriously. 
But it's that holism, isn't it? If we can bring the data into that pathway, and as Liz said, get really close to it, but we've got to overcome things like, uh, which hopefully integration will do, sharing information across health and social care, sharing information with the police in the, in the right kind of way, and so on. And it's so many information governance things that stood in the way of it. I know some of them are important, but it's looking at that holism. But for our friends who are listening, this is a real challenge, I think, because it's difficult, you know, you would be the expert on this. How do you provide the evidence that says our inhaler is better when the reason someone gets admitted is because they don't have a belt or their daughter went away for the weekend or their neighbor who had the car, the car was off the road, so they couldn't take them to, and so it goes on, those kind of social issues. and. You know, as any clinician will tell you, it's very rare that people have a specific condition. It's a whole basket. That gentleman who lives, yeah. I bet he's probably diagnosed with five or six different things, oh, isn't he? Yeah. And he's on Seriously. eight different drugs then that Ewan's looking at going, Craggy, Liz, he's on eight different oral drugs four times a day. What do you expect? That's why he's falling over and getting hypertensive. But anyway, anyway, great, Tom, I've spoke too much. But that, I'm really encouraged, and for everyone listening, um, you know, that's been announced today to the NHS, this new transformation directorate, it wraps up the data and it wraps up pathways all in the same directorate. So fingers crossed, you know, that that's a sign. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a real signal of intent, isn't it, to, to do things differently. Uh, something I, I, is on our, our list of questions around, you know, who, who should our audience be speaking with when it comes to, you know, getting change in, into the system? I wonder if we could just quickly go round and, and everyone, you know, one or two stakeholders, as it were, in the system. Who's going to be driving the change in terms of your part of the system? Liz, I'll come back to you first in, in terms of things happening differently in primary care. Um, if we want any changes done, it's it's always the the director of the directors at the PCN. Um, yeah, if yeah. We're, we're looking to make an, anything different to, to my little world um yeah it's it's at the pcn level yeah okay thank you you and who, who's going to drive change in your world I, I i mean i would agree with that and i don't think it is it is you know just the pcn world is i think pcn clinical directors increasingly will, will speak for the voice of their populations now that's a, a smaller population than in ccg is but actually um i would hope that under the new system pcn clinical directors will be able to and you know and the teams around them will be able to have the autonomy and the authority to do the things that they know are the right things for their population and to do it joined up with other partners like you know community pharmacy and like community services and like charities and things that are happening within within that footprint I, and, and inevitably what we'll see will be some pcns that are fantastic that fly that then set the set the bar for the others so i i think pcn clinical directors are going to be enormously important in this but i do think the the if I was to if I was to name one other person, it's kind of a toss up between two, and I think it's probably equal. Uh, you know, the director of finance for the ICS is going to dictate an awful lot of this kind of stuff. It just is. It just is going to be how how we deal with joined up budgets, how we deal with you know freedom to act over money and and, and all all that kind of stuff. That's going to be massively important. I would probably rather. Um, selfishly say that I think that ICS chief pharmacist, lead pharmacist, director of pharmacy, whatever they end up being called, and hopefully everywhere has one, I think is going to have a really, really important um, important impact because it helps it, 
it, it, it helps in those joined up conversations about how resources are used. And, you know, you, from, we can talk about all the stuff we've talked about, about putting patients at the centre and, and looking at things on a slightly broader footprint. That's that's one thing to do that with secondary care, but it's harder to draw kind of a, a direct correlation between output and, and outcome. But I think with mm. prescribing, you very clearly can, because if we just... You know, my, my day job in Sunderland is basically manage a 50 million pound budget and make it as cheap as possible. Well, then that's completely ignoring the fact that, you know, that, that 50 million pounds is an investment in reducing all sorts of adverse outcomes happening to people. So um, you, you've given me the perverse incentive that is to not necessarily do the right thing by the patients. So I'm hoping that having um, the, the, the kind of senior expertise and senior a voice at a level that hasn't necessarily been heard before can start to change some of those conversations a bit yeah brilliant thank you patrick we've, we've lost your video but you, you, we, we've still got your audio i think from your perspective who, who's who, who are the key stakeholders in sort of driving changes in acute and hospital care um well, uh, Ewan's been very kind about the uh, CFO at ICS level. Um, you know, the fact we will have one voice going no um, to, to more people is, is, is a good thing, of course. Um, but I'm not sure it's the type of change that we necessarily want to drive. I s still see that it will be clinical leads uh, throughout acute care. You know, we're now going into an organization that hasn't existed before. We'll have billions of problems literally and the clinician that comes forward saying this is a solution they'll be listened to because otherwise there's just a big piece of paper with lots and lots of problems how do we reconfigure cardiology that'll be a cardiologist that will lead that how do we reconfigure orthopedics similarly what do we do about diabetic patients all right let's flip that around that's people living with diabetes. It's not a diabetes patient. What else is happening with that person? And that gets back to Liz's point and to Ewan's point, that if you're going to have that patient focus, you have to recognise they don't fit into nice little blocks, no matter how hard we try in secondary care to do that. Um, it is about finding the clinical voice. Um, the opportunity is that we can link up secondary and primary care um, and find a better voice um, and find a way of showing that investment in, in medicines uh, and in devices that says, do this, save money later on. But at a global ICS level, the acute sector is safe once you've shut at least one acute hospital per ICS. Yeah, okay. Um, just, just taking from that then, I think in, in integration, I suppose, Certainly, I, I probably a lot of us have thought change will be a, achieved through consensus, so that the system comes together to decide on how to do things. And I'm taking the same, Patrick, that actually that will be someone drives that, and then consensus yeah. along the way, rather than everyone convening a working party and saying, right, how are we going to sit down and solve this? Yeah. Okay, David. We're just talking about stakeholders. Is there any any particular stakeholders that? Yeah, that I'll, I'll throw in. I, I agree with everything people are saying. I'm taking up Liz's point. So our, our PCN, let's say somebody's got a good idea. We're then going to go and talk to the transformation lead at the local foundation trust. We'll talk to the ambulance trust. We talk to the mental health trust. Yeah. So I I think 
one of the advices I, I give to people out there, you and I, Tom, we, we, we're often around those people and we'll say to them, so how often does someone from pharma or devices or diagnostics come and see you? And they usually say it never happens. And I think those people's skills at the moment is most of them are in foundation trust. I can't wait for them to go out onto a broader integrated footprint. The, the, the system transformation, um, system improvement, those kind of skills, the people who've got the, the Lean Six Sigma and they know how to unlock the system and they're close to the clinicians, they're often ex-nurses or clinicians, it'd be brilliant. The other thing I, I'd, I'd say, again, as advice to people, taking Ewan's points as well, is a job I would love to have now if I was younger and I was back in the service is to be a place lead, to be something like the place lead for long-term conditions in, in a well-funded health economy. I, I think that just aspire to that so you're not a commissioner you're not a provider you've got a very clear role and maybe you've got something like women and children services or long-term conditions a broad remit and i think it could be a really exciting time to be in that position i think the challenge for some of the people listening is the breadth of disciplines and backgrounds that are going to fill those posts a lot of those people are coming in from social care and that's a new kind of person yeah yeah yeah, thank you. And, and a question has actually come in as we've been speaking um, is around place and, and primary care and, and asking about the, whether there's still a role for GP federations. What do you make of that, David? For me, yeah, absolutely. I'll be brief. When, when, um, uh, when we first started to change a couple of years ago, I know that people who were in London who set up the PCN policy thought that GP federations and alliances would just fold over. I think those of us like yourself who've run those kind of organisations are new and different. And so a good PCN, if it's got a coterminous federation alliance alongside it, is in a really powerful position. And that's the way things are constructed. It'd be interesting to see where we are in a couple of years' time, but certainly at the moment, um, you'd be a foolish group of practices that didn't have an alliance or federation alongside your PCN. Yeah, thank you. So we've still got a few questions left, so I'm going to be, be a bit quick fire if I can do with the other questions that we've got, um, see if we can tick off as many as we can do. Liz, one's come in about community diagnostic centres, community di diagnostic hubs. Um, what do you make of, of that idea and, and how do you think they might work in practice? What impact might they have? Oh, well, it's what David's saying. It, that's where your federation's going to step up to the mark. Um, uh, you know, there there is there is a lot of opportunity there. Um, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be down at Watford General. You don't have to go and fight with their car park. You know, castles mm. have moats and drawbridges. Watford General has a car park at the bottom of the hill. Mm. Um, you know, we've got to get these teams out into the communities and closer to the patients so that I mm. can have a COVID secure spirometry hub that is quality assured. Because at the moment, small, you know, we're not a small PCM, we're pretty big, mm. but we're not big enough to see the big volumes of spirometry um, so that, you know, the, the nursing teams have um, the experience and the facilities to make sure there's really good quality um, measurables. Um, but if we had a diagnostic hub, fantastic. You know, why do I have to send somebody? Why do I, I really hate doing referrals for um, nurses to go out and take bloods when, you know, if it was closer to home, um, 
maybe I could get that done, you know, within the community, you know, somebody could could support the patient to go over and um, and have bloods done. Um, I have before I retire, I really, I really want to see diagnostic hubs so that I can, you know, safely get bloods from uh, my patients with learning difficulties. You know, they're all needle phobic. They're petrified. Yeah. They don't understand. But they'll let me take a sample of blood from their finger. That's not a bother. Um, you know, so I definitely get the federations. This is what this is where you could really support us. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. You and I'm going to come to you at the other end of the scale. A, a question that I think a, a lot of our audience are interested in. What needs to happen for ICSs to take on specialised commissioning in? and the budgets that come with it <laughs> well, well the ICS needs to exist first of all so we're, <laughs> we're some way off that even happening I, I mean I think it is you know that's a slightly flippant answer but actually it's it, it's true it doesn't exist mm. and we we might be only a few months away from it existing as a legal entity but we're a long way off it functioning in the way that are functioning in the way that it's intended to function so I think uh, you know, it's it's got to take on it's got to take on everything that CCGs do initially. That's a really really big transition that gets very scary the closer we get to it. Then the following year, it's got to take on all the other primary care services. It's got to take on community pharmacy, optometry, and dentistry. Again, they're they're complex things to do. They're they're complex. They're big money. Um, uh, you know, and then specialised commissioning on top of it is something again that's completely different. That actually most of the people who who will be automatically moving into ICSs don't necessarily have experience of um, and we don't know to what degree NHS England is going to give some of that stuff up and what it's going to give up and things so when it comes to specialised commissioning I feel like we're still some way off that um, so in terms of what needs to happen I think the answer is probably quite a lot needs to happen before then. Mm -hmm. And, and do you think it will be systems earning the right to have that sort of earned autonomy is, is the phrase that I've heard you use? I think it will have to be. I mean, like anything else, just like, you know, PCNs and anything else, there will be there will be ones that work really well on a fly and there will be others that are really, really struggling. And I, I, I can't see, um, you know, I, I can envisage a situation whereby, for example, in, in April of 2023, the commissioning of all of those other three primary care sectors doesn't move into all ICSs because actually some of them aren't in a position to be able to do it so NHS England holds on to some because it's the, the safest thing to do but it might be that actually there are some that are doing really well that then that then take it on at an earlier rate so I don't think it will be this kind of big bang for for everything not even necessarily for every kind of conditioning or every type of commissioning that will go all in one go I think it'll have to be more staggered than that I don't think that's the intention at the moment but I can't see how it would happen any other way yeah okay yeah, specialized commissioning is an insurance scheme it's a risk scheme you know you yeah. in the ICS they might go further a smaller one like Cornwall I'm not sure how they do it you you it's it the whole thing is is risk management and it's it's got to be that assurance there. If you get slightly wrong with SpecCon financially, and also in terms of, unfortunately, very ill people dying or some kind of political scandal is, is too close. But uh, you've got to be big enough and stable enough to, mm -hmm. to, to, to cover the insurance scheme, basically. That's what it is. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. 
Patrick, um, another question that we've had in is, uh, here's one for you. How can industry help uh, NHS trusts and ICSs to shift the focus towards value-based procurement instead of unit cost? Um, uh, it, it would be delightful if we didn't pay any invoices until we'd uh, shown the um, delivery of the value base. Um, so, you know, if we're going to reduce hospitalizations in 10 years time, let's prescribe the medicine, record the number of issues and record the hospitalizations in 10 years. If it works, we give you a bundle of dough. And if it doesn't, well, let's let's come up with another value base. Um, more sensibly, we have to look at different procurement models. We have to move away from the unit cost, but we have to start saying, what's the overall package? What are we expecting to happen in other parts of the system? Where do we expect to see a shift to primary care, to community facilities? How can the procurement model support that? Rather than us rubbing our hands because we've managed to get a medicine that's 15 pence cheaper than Sunderland and we're going to use a gazillion units of it uh, and look we've saved and they've lost you know it's got to be more about where does it fit with a patient pathway and I think that becomes a key and just to hop back to Speccom because I, I like the insurance model uh, and Speccom have used insurance that, to bail out their uh, lack of knowledge of what's going on but, you know, things like critical care, neonatal care, they're not speccom. They could move across. You know, when my middle child was born and was whisked off to uh, neonatal intensive care for seven days, we didn't go, oh, locally commissioned birth, speccom for neonates, locally commissioned discharge. You know, that's a nonsense. You know, the, the pathway was, oh, you're not very big. You've been very premature. You're not very well. We'll look after you. That could move. But that provides a model for the value-based proposition, for the value-based procurement. What is actually the pathway? Not how can we chisel out a little advantage in secondary care compared to primary care or to community care or to that secondary care across the border. Actually, what's the value to the patient? How do we explicate that? How do we tie the procurement up to that? Uh, and going back, you know, don't charge us for 10 years. That'll help. Okay. <laughs> Brilliant, thanks Patrick. So uh, another question, I'm gonna go around uh, for a brief answer from everyone if I can. Um, currently, what's of more value to the NHS? Is it clinical and, and quality advances or system and capacity improvements? Um, Liz. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Come on Liz, what's the answer to that one? Yeah. <laughs> oh. God, um, oh, I think I'm on a 13 day stretch. So uh, let's say capacity, capacity. <laughs> on my next day off next week. <laughs> um, yeah, can, can I have capacity? I'd like um, cloned nurses and Patrick in a dress, please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Countdown's um, on, three hours to go. <laughs> you and what's, what's more important to you at the moment? I, I mean, I would, I would agree. I think the system is just stretched everywhere and we, you know, we get short term funding in that realistically we can't use because we haven't got anywhere to put it or anyone to get to do it. I, yeah, I mean, obviously, in an ideal world, you'd want both. But I think the the acute problem is the capacity. I think the fact that we've, you know, COVID hasn't gone away. 
And not only has it changed the way that we work, but it's still it, it's still there. It means for secondary care facilities, it means still double running services. So you have a you know a green site and a red site or a hot site and a cold site or whatever it is. It, all of that stuff is greater stretches on the capacity that wasn't even there in the first place. So I think that would have to be the priority. I mean, you know, how we're going to get through this winter is is it's going to be really really difficult. Let alone next winter Caffeine and three and winters after that. That, that'll that'll get you so far, but you know <laughs> everyone's been running on it for two years, so yeah. <laughs> that's all I got. At least, that's so. all I got. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to free pens anymore. The sight of Patrick in a dress might give you another boost <laughs> for another week or two, but but, but it's, it's it's just got to be capacity. That's all there is at the moment. Um, so yeah, that would that would absolutely be a priority for me. I think. Patrick, do you do you dissent to the idea that system and capacity improvements are more important than clinical advances? Or do you agree with that? Uh, absolutely not. It's capacity. It's capacity. Um, and that cap uh, that comes back to the first point we made. You know, the capacity is linked to workforce. You know, Liz shouldn't have to do 13 days in a row. Nobody should. Come on, it's wrong. How do we change that wrongness? Yeah, I know. It's, you know, Tom, you've heard me talk a lot about a thing that it, it's about a van driver. It will happen. Going back to Liz's point about community diagnostic centres, so we can't do, there's a whole load of pathway work we can't do in our PCN because about half past two this afternoon, there is a guy who has to park his van up outside his house because he lives so far away from the hospital site and he's the guy who collects the samples. Uh, it's system every time. How many times do you hear someone yeah. say, I'm trained in cognitive therapy, We've got people who can take bloods, we can do this, we can do that. We've got Liz who's a prescriber, who does stuff IV, and then, yeah, but they can't do it because we can't get a room on a Tuesday. Propco have stopped us doing this. Yeah. Um, you can't link it up to system one. Um, this FT's got a different system from this FT, and so it goes on. It's system yeah. time, it's so frustrating that fantastic people are out there got the skills and they can't use them. Yeah. Brilliant. So we're nearly out of time. So I'm just going to go around another one word answer from each of you. It's um, the question is what, what knowledge or capability would be most valuable to you from an industry representative coming to see you? Um, so if someone's coming to see you, what do you want them to come and see you about, I suppose, is the, is the question. Um, any volunteers to go first? I'll volunteer. It won't be one answer, one word. Um, I I want somebody to come and tell me what I'm doing wrong for the patient. Why Brilliant. why do they have to be with me at all in an acute setting? Yeah, okay, fantastic, thank you. Everyone's looking pensive for their own answers. Mm. David, I'll, 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 I'll do a similar one. It it what I'm looking for all the time is how. So um. Is Liz done it in Watford? This is why we, you and I have got a relationship with Liz. Um, it's like she'll say, well, we do this or we do that, and you learn from it. And I'm particularly, and I'll keep this promise, you can contact me through MTech Access. I'm really interested in any rural sheep farm type, um, Emmerdale farm fight places that have delivered clinical change. It doesn't matter what specialty it is. Um, that's the PCN I work with. If you've got an idea and it's worked anyway, it doesn't matter what clinical area it is, I'm interested. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. 
You and I'll come to you next. I, I can just see that the one word Liz wants to say is help, but I don't know if she's <laughs> going to find a different way to phrase that. Um, for, for me, I, th I think what, what is what industry does really well is is data and intelligence, and 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 actually that's the bit that we don't always do all that well. So I think that's the sort of thing that we could we could benefit from that's that's something something that would help us to direct and make the most out of the the services and the functionality and the capacity that we have something that would help us to direct that better brilliant yeah. thanks you and liz i'll, I'll come to you for the last I'm, one. I'm gonna sorry tom i'm gonna come in just about you Simu simulated modeling that's another thing if people are out there just backing up you and saying i i've loved it for years we can never afford it and the companies have got it. If, if you've got the software, if you've got the techniques around it, we'd love to see it. Yeah, good stuff. Liz, final word to you today. I can't do a webinar without talking about antibiotics. I'm really sorry. There must be a cream or some sort of vaccine for it, but I, can't, I just can't. Got to mention antibiotics at every webinar. Um, okay, so my day-to-day, -day, I want industry to come to me with a solution for every single day, every 10 to 15 minutes, I've got a urine infection. Mostly it's I've got coughs, colds, you know, it's not COVID, I know it's not COVID. Um, how do you know that? Because I don't feel unwell, but I want to <laughs> Um And so I can now say, I can now rule out uh, in primary care with my scented candles and my headset and my um, I can say oh, this isn't um, this isn't COVID or this is COVID, uh, or if it's not COVID, then what the hell else is it? You know, is this influenza? Is this a chest infection? Like, what? Come on, stop me guessing. <laughs> you know, give me some better diagnostics for this. You know, is it something I can stick in the post? Like, oh, look what we can do now. We've got lateral flows everywhere. I've got, you know. I'm now sending referrals, the receptionists are now sending referrals direct to the pharmacies. You know, can I use that, use that flow? You know, can I put more diagnostics into pharmacies so that we can say, yes, it's not COVID, but you still feel really, really unwell. Um, and antibiotics may or may not help, but I'm not quite sure because I'm not here to guess and we're prescribing too many antibiotics. Industry, help me! Help me! You clever people! There is a cry for help as ever I heard when you were right. So, thank you. We're going to have to draw it to a close there. Uh, thank you, uh, you and Liz, Patrick, David, for joining me this afternoon. Thank you, everyone, for Pleasure. tuning in at home. Uh, if you've got any more questions lingering that we haven't got to, please get in touch via info at mtechaccess.co.uk. Uh, also, anything else that you need to understand better about the NHS, please drop us a line. Uh, we'll be back at the end of January for uh, another edition, uh, all to be confirmed between now and then. Uh, so in the meantime, have a Merry Christmas. Thank you very much for supporting us this year and we look forward to working with you again next year. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please do subscribe for future episodes. If you'd like to find out more about our work with the NHS or how we can support your market access strategy, please email info at mtechaccess.co.uk.